This podcast is the fourth episode of Novel Writers The Warm-Up. Novel Writers is a monthly event organized by Spike Island in partnership with Bristol Festival of Ideas. Today I receive Yara Rodriguez-Fowler for her first novel, Stubborn Archivist, published by Fleet and available since the 21st of February this year. So it's been only a few days. How does it feel to have your first novel out already? Um, getting a novel published takes a really long time. So um, I've had a long time to get used to the idea that it will be a have a life as a physical book out in the world, being read by people. Um, so yeah, it feels good. I feel it's proud. Good. You feel proud? Mm. So tonight you will present your book, Stubborn Archivist, during the event called Novel Writers in Spike Island in Bristol. And you will also read some extracts. But together we are going to talk about your life as a writer, mm-hmm. your writing techniques, all the work behind the book. Mm. Does it sound okay for you? Sounds great. <laughs> so Yara... You are a novelist and a freelance writer. It looks like you do a lot of writing in many forms. Mm. From what I could read on internet, you do campaigns for NGOs, you write for medias, you publish short stories, mm. uh, you, apparently you just wrote a theater play, mm-hmm. uh, you just published your novel, which sometimes looks like an autobiography and also includes some poetry, especially, mm-hmm. especially mm. in the beginning. Yeah. So how do you describe your, your, your work? Is it freelance writer? Um, I think I call myself a novelist. I wouldn't call it an autobiography. Um, and yeah, I have to make a living. Um, so I don't make enough money to just live off um, writing novels or plays. Um, and it's something that people feel really awkward talking about, but it just is the reality of the industry. And I mean, even when you get enough money up front, you don't have a salary. So that's kind of part of it. So I've done some cool jobs and some jobs that were just for the money as well. But I spent a long time working in communications agencies, working in campaigns. Um, Some of the ones I really liked were Refugees Welcome and... um, and like other charities. It feels like everything you have done as work, not as novel writing, but as Mm. work, is based on writing. Am I right as well? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just the main skill that I have. I can write quite quickly. Um, (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Which is good. Um, And the other thing, I mean, I also give workshops. um, So, yeah, I mean, but it's a really weird experience because in the last year I've kind of gone from being the person at the bottom of a lot of these companies to mm-hmm. suddenly sit working situations where um, I've produced a novel and people listen to what I'm saying and they treat me really nicely. Mm, so you are in the front of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just, it's interesting, like the way I feel I haven't changed, but the way people treat me has changed. Um, and it just highlights how, uh, Badly, people often treat their employees, I think. And Mm. you said that you have uh, one skill, which is uh, writing quickly. Mm. So it's very useful for, I guess, 
campaigns writing and things like that mm-hmm. is it also the case when it comes to your fiction yeah I mean like fiction I write less quickly it's I guess it's a different kind of uh, thing process but um I, I yeah I mean I don't know this book took like I don't know maybe the first draft I wrote in nine months and then after that I had to redraft and make it longer. Maybe that took another nine months. So it's still relatively fast. I think it's fast compared to the other writers I could interview so far. It, it feels yeah. quite fast. Yeah. Can yeah. you tell me more about uh, how you started writing? Is it something that you always been doing as a as a child? Or is it something that you started later in uh, life? Yeah, I think... Um, I... Yeah, I used to read a lot as a child uh, but also watch a lot of move like kids movies which there's a lot of narrative going on there I think that's really important it's not just books that I was absorbing um, and certainly I used to write poems as a teenager <laughs> um, and and then I had I didn't I wasn't very happy at university and I only wrote sort of I wrote one one sort of short story that's now a chapter of the book um, and I submitted it to a student feminist magazine and it was rejected so um, I didn't write when I was not very happy I didn't write very much okay um, so I mean it's sort of the opposite of the stereotype that you have yeah. to be very tortured I think there's something to be said for feeling comfortable and confident but as you said it does sound like a, a cliche because so far people I interview said that Okay, when I feel really low or when I've been feeling really low in my life, I didn't have the energy for writing a book or I didn't have the the yeah, the the stamina to make it happen. Yeah, and I mean, I think being unwell gets very glamorized. But actually, it's it's really good to be well, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Uh, do you have um, a first memory of you writing fiction, maybe as a maybe as a teenager as you said or Yeah, I do. I remember having things I'd written on my computer and um, when I was a teenager, I remember uh, like a boyfriend reading them without my permission and becoming very angry. No, really? Yeah, and I became very, very angry. I can understand that. Yeah, so that's one of my early memories. And when did you decide to do novel writing or fiction writing for real, to take it seriously? Um, that's quite an interesting question. I think I... I think I always thought, like, what would be my plan A dream life? It would be being able to make fiction and being a writer. And I think it would be disingenuous to say, like, oh, I just wanted to write and I didn't care what happened to it. Like, I think... Um, so, yeah, when I was in my early 20s, I moved back to London and I had just done a master's in comparative literature and I was reading a lot of... Latin American, Caribbean writing that was kind of not really short stories, not really novels, and looking at kind of disrupting the kind of beginning-middle-end or certainly beginning-middle narrative, realist narrative that is kind of normal in the UK and still in the US and a lot of other parts of the world. Mm. Um, and in the meantime, I was also writing these short stories or fragments and I written about three and I realized they were about the same family and the same protagonist um, 
Well, one of them's from the point of view of the auntie of the protagonist in the novel. So, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try and like make a few more of these, like make this something that could be a book. Um, and there's a book called The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros, which I was thinking particularly of, which is lots and lots of fragments and kind of vignettes um, and very orally written. And it's also kind of about a healing narrative. That's kind of the drive of the book, growing up and healing, uh, which is a sort of like similar to the drive of this book. And I don't know if I'd call that a novel, really. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I began. I didn't begin wanting to write a novel, but I did think what I was writing could be a book. Um, and I also just had, I had no idea like how many words a book needs to have. Um, like it has to be like maybe this thick or, uh, <laughs> but then what if like my book has a lot of blank space so does that mean it needs fewer words um (laughs) so that's kind of I was like whatever I'll just put this together I back myself I'm just gonna try and I had this text that was 18,000 words so that's like the length of a long read in the LRB it's you know (laughs) and um I sent that to agents and then I signed with my agent and then it sort of became clear that that kind of thing is very hard to publish in the UK. So we made it longer, and I love the longer form. It does something richer and heftier. Mm. Um, but again, I still, and again, it's it's a novel because like that's it's got to be sold as a novel, mm-hmm. and it is and a novel. It, and it looks, it lo- like I mean, it looks like a novel, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in at its heart, it's really a disruption of what a novel is. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially in the first part, to me, was yeah. the most shocking in a good way, sorry, mm. uh, part, because you can see its poetry, but you can see it's from a character. It's not the author who is writing its own poetry. It's the poetry from the main character, which is very disorientating for mm. for the reader. So it, it's disorientating in a good way. I mean, you want to know what's going on and what happened for the main character to express herself in this way. Mm. We're going a, mm. a bit... Too quick. Okay. <laughs> But we're going back to this topic. I just want to ask you a few few more, uh, way more basic questions. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, am I right? You've been raised bilingual. Mm-hmm. So you, you have a British father and a Brazilian mother. Yeah. And you've been raised in both languages. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've always lived uh, in the UK. I've never lived in Brazil. And so, I mean, like, it's bilingual in the sense that we speak Portuguese at home sometimes. Um, and I was really lucky when I was little, like the childcare I had was Brazilian, Portuguese speaking. And we also really lucky that we can, we have been able to afford to go to Brazil most years. So I can spend time with my family and like speak Portuguese then. Um, and now I'm an adult, like I can go back more freely, whatever, I'm more in charge of that. Um, I'm asking just because I'm interested to know if you write in English or in Portuguese, which language is more convenient for you? I mean, definitely, definitely English. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite, it is quite interesting because also my relationship to Portuguese is way more oral. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel very natural speaking Portuguese, hearing it, but like writing it is something I had to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Whereas writing in English is feels really natural to me. Because of school, I guess. Yeah, People yeah. You've been pushed to write in English. I think so, yeah. So, and I mean, maybe that's also partly why 
in order to create a text that reflected all of that, I had to create something a bit different and weird in terms of the form and the it feels like dialogue. Mm-hmm. Or it's certainly very driven by dialogue. And so you never wrote in, in Portuguese, not even, I don't know, poetry or, or is that something that you never approached? No, so I don't think I've ever written just in Portuguese, mm. but I will have would have written stuff that's got both in it, obviously. Yeah, so, obviously, but yeah. no, I mean, no. And I was never in a situation where I was made to do that, really. Okay. I, I mean, I, I did do Portuguese A-level, but I've, I've never, like, done a uni course in Brazil or something like that where someone would have been like, yo, you can't just switch into English. <laughs> How do you think you build yourself as a writer? Did you take any creative writing classes? Did you? Uh, no, I, yeah, I've never taken a creative writing course. Um, I, yeah, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also studied a lot. So I think uh, when I was studying, I was thinking a lot about how to represent trauma how is the relationship between form and and trauma and what we represent and what we do and don't say um and I also studied translation and something that I find important and like a powerful political statement is the idea of what we do and don't translate and whether it can be radical to refuse to translate something and say no I'm doing this on my terms Um, so I think I was when I was studying and reading I was building a kind of theory of how I wanted to write Mm-hmm. certainly an argument for the way I ended up writing um, so that was kind of my uh, preparation and building blocks I think how did you learn and you can just tell me that you learn it on the on the job you know mm. uh, to create characters or to create a plot a longer story because those are very technical part of the book and you're actually doing it very very mm. well in in your novel so you actually know how to do it and I was wondering if you ask yourself those questions when you're writing do you ask yourself oh I have to create a character how do I do that or do you just go mm. with the flow and trust your basic instinct no I think it was a combination of, of both I think um, in terms of plot and narrative I think I knew that I wanted what drives us through the book not to be or to be not like I mean, obviously you have the very tradition, like a marriage plot or a whatever. It obviously isn't that. But it is, this, but what I felt very strongly about, and this is, you know, from the tradition of Sandra Cisneros, The House on Mango Street, Alex Walker, The Colour Purple, Toni Morrison, Beloved, is like this idea that you, the, you, you have this trauma and it's about healing. It's not about fixing it or it being over, but it's about a book that, holds that trauma, doesn't fixate on it as a graphic event, um, but takes us to a place of joy. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I felt really strongly about, and that's what drives the book. So it was always going to start where it started, and it was always going to end where it ended, you know, with the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of characters, yeah, I mean, I think there was a, there is, oh, I think always an element of hammering it out and... Some things they just come together like I just Anna Paula and uh, this is kind of spoilers. That's fine, isn't it? I think it's fine. Okay, <laughs> you know the abortion that that just mm-hmm. worked out. I mean, it, obviously it comes from my own political beliefs and 
wanting to talk about the fact that abortion's not legal in Brazil and what does it actually what does sisterhood mean etc mm. but um it also just worked and I don't remember but I'm no I know I did hammer it out in my mind and think about it um so yeah and well you you already quoted some some writers but mm. is there anyone that you can think of that you wish you could write uh just like this person is a writer that the style or the techniques really inspires you or you took as a as a guide um yeah i mean again i feel like i'm forging new traditions like there isn't a british there isn't really a big canon of british brazilian writing that yet there will be i'm sure but um so i do feel like i was fusing things from different places um but yeah i mean certainly in terms of yeah after i read beloved by tony morrison i was like well i feel like this is the first and last book i've ever read because of the way it moves form and uses form and i think for me i was like yes i be i've been brought up with this british realist tradition and the british you know immigrant realist novel um hanif kreshi Salman rushdie zadie smith etc but like i can't write a realist novel that's not going to be what i can do and Yeah, like because there's something about like Toni Morrison, William Faulkner, the kind of Southern American, almost like Gothic tradition. Um, Zora Neale Hurston, there I saw watching God as well. That is feels very American in the continental sense, like very Brazilian. Like Brazil makes more sense to me after reading Toni Morrison because obviously it's a country that was built from slavery as well and settler colonialism. So these are all things. Those are certainly writers that I, it's not that I I don't belong to that tradition either, but these are definitely definitely things that I was shaped by, and then also kind of particularly like Brazilian oral literature and culture. So Caetano Veloso's music, Elis Regina, Elsa Soares, like these are all political poets, storytellers. I mean, they're musicians. They're very popular musicians, but that was another tradition which was really important to me and I, so I was trying to smush all those things up uh, mm. when you have a story when you want to write a story how do you start um, what comes first is it um, I'm thinking of your novel but I also read that you wrote a theater play and you have mm. a second book mm. on the go so I'm, mm. that's why I'm talking yeah. broadly what what comes first is it the plot is it the characters it's a political idea that you really want to talk about Or yeah, that's a really it's a really good question. I think it's often like a feeling, mm -hmm. you know, like or a vibe or a mood. So is it something like, oh, I have to write, or is it like, ooh, I'm really in love, or I'm really mad, or I'm really jealous, something just random things. Yeah, I have to write about this. I think it's like, a, it's it's almost like halfway between or a combination of like a kind of political imperative, but also a feeling and a situation. So it's kind of like. It's this, like, I need to write about this thing, but also I, kn I think I know what that story looks like, or I have at least a scene in my mind, or a situation, or a bit of dialogue, or an image. Um, so I think, like, for the book, for this book, Stubborn Archivist, there are certain, like, you know, the, the bits of poetry at the beginning 
um, were quite fundamental. Were quite yeah fundamental. And then also um, the scene where she's in the bar with her ex boyfriend. That was also those are some of the first things that that I wrote. And I didn't necessarily. It's really obvious they're connected. But I didn't necessarily when I was thinking of them originally think this is going to be a book that looks like this. Um, but it sort of grew out of out of that. And yeah, for the the play, I think it was a relationship. And again, an end point that I wanted to reach, a sort of feeling. And with um, with my second book, it was also a feeling, but also a relationship between the two main characters that I wanted to to grasp and make big. So is it, for, for, from what you say, for me it sounds like you have an idea of a, of a scene and then you have to build up all the way to reach that theme or that relationship or that yeah and it's this really uh heady thing where it's like yeah this is great i have this amazing idea it can definitely be a huge thing that i spend five years of my life on like i mean you've got to be like um it's a really exciting and a bit ridiculous thing to ever think but yeah i think that's how it starts and how do you know that uh this idea that you have or this scene that you have is a good one How how do you find the strength to trust this idea? Um, yeah, I think there just has to be a small, really arrogant, sociopathic bit of my brain which goes like, <laughs> okay, yeah, go, go, spend Best your time on this. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, just do it. And then if you can just roll with that for long enough to have made a thing, then you can not look at it and then look at it again and say, like, is this ridiculous or... Um, show it to someone which I know sounds very easy to say and I didn't I think by the time I got an agent I'd shown my work to like three people so I found it very hard but like one of my most supportive friends I would sort of write one chapter and be really excited and like really high about it and then I would show him and I'd be like this is good I should keep going and he'd be like yeah just keep going so you have three people that read your work when it's in progress Three or more or less? Uh, it sort of depends. I think I have, um, yeah, maybe maybe around three. And then when I have a draft, then I show my agent. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and you trust those people because they write as well or because they know you well or because you know that they will tell you that it's not good if it's not good? It's, it's almost the opposite. I mean, I think like it's, it's almost like there are people who I trust will just say like, it's good, keep going. You know, it's almost like when it's really vulnerable, I just need someone to say, like, mm. don't worry, this isn't a horrific waste of your time. <laughs> yeah, that's very important to be yeah, surrounded by people like yeah. that. I'm not too harsh. And, and yeah, that's very good. Mm. Do you have uh, a specific time in the day or in the night when you prefer to write? Or how do you make some time for writing? Because as you said earlier, mm. um, Very, there are very few people that can live with yeah. just being a writer. So I guess you have to work or to do some kind of work. Mm. Uh, how do you manage to find the time? So it's it's been different at different points in my life. So when I fir first wrote the my first draft, I had like a few months where I was unemployed and I finished studying um, and I was living at home. And I would go to the library and apply for jobs and write. That's what I would do. Um, and then 
I was working full time and that's when I had to redraft the book and that was hell you know it was really really hell um and I would often be asked to work over time there was this like horrible woman at my job who was my age and decided she would want she wanted to bully me like it was really unpleasant and I in those days I would use my holiday to book time off and work sometimes I would go to a library after work sometimes I would work in the library on Saturdays um and sometimes and I did really enjoy this I would take Friday nights to write um but you know it's a Friday night so I would I would go I would look for places in London where you can plug in your laptop and uh you can stay there late but it's not a bar mm-hmm so I would go um, to the National Theatre and it feels really nice because there are people there having a nice evening and they're, I don't know, it feels a bit like you're having a Friday night. <laughs> but, I don't know. You're going out somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I'd have a glass of wine and I just, I felt really happy like in the middle of the city and um, just working on my book. So um, that felt good. And, but now, um, yeah, I'm freelance so I can often take like, quite long periods of time just to write so and in December I was lucky enough I got a grant from the Society of Authors to go to Brazil and research the next book so my circumstances are much better materially now um because once you can just say you have one book it the kind of funding opportunities are different but like um so now I will I I I go to the library at 10 and then I try to try and do a working day and I come home that sounds very healthy compared yes. to the previous experience. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. And um, what did you enjoy the most, uh, the writing part or the editing part? What was the most comfortable for you? Um, again, it kind of depends. Like I think some of the writing parts were really wonderful where it just flows and it's good and you've written something that you feel... Like sometimes I write and then I look back and I'm like, that's so great, how did I come up with that? <laughs> Um, I wish I could have this balance. <laughs> but but sometimes like I got to points where I was really sick of it, like really tired and sick of the text and couldn't make it do what I wanted it to do and or what I felt the world like the like publishing industry wanted it to do. So uh I mean I think I think the highs of editing are the ceiling for editing is lower, you know. So he, editing never has made me feel super happy, yeah. happy and amazing and like mm. I've smashed it and everything's great um oh, but there's loads of loads of writing are probably lower too um and and sometimes writing does feel awful mm-hmm. I mean I think that's true but I try and treat it as like a, a job like you go in and you do your best and then the next day you try and do your best again and if you have a bad day that's life yeah <laughs> do you have um, a working process do you have like, okay, for a few hours I'm going to plan the novel and then for a few hours I'm going to work on this character or something like that? Or do you just open the computer or the book? The no, book, I, and you... I do. So I tend to have lot make as many notes as possible. So keep just making notes and notes and notes until I have a critical mass that can become, that has a shape and can become a chapter plan or a section plan or whatever, however I'm doing it. Um, and when I feel that's the case, then I will create the word document. Um, and then I will try and write it, fill it out, and I will edit as I go. 
Um, and then what I also do is uh, read out, record myself reading it out loud. Oh, really? And then I listen to that, and so then I can hear when the rhythms are wrong. Mm-hmm. And I need to edit it. This is when it goes as smoothly as possible. That, in theory, is the process. But it might be like I get to the middle of that and then I start the next bit or like then I sure. have to go do some something else with my day for a, a while or uh, I just can't get it to a place where I can bear to listen to myself read it out loud. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's that's how it works. That's, yeah. Um, I'm very curious about the recording mm, mm-hmm. part, the recording moment. Yeah. Um, so you you will read, or you would read a few pages, and you see how it sounds like. Um, is it for working on the dialogues, or is that for working on the flow? All of, of it. All of it. So in theory, I have the whole book in my voice memos. <laughs> um, because, well, it's the kind of two two things like when I'm actually recording it like if I'm tripping over the words and I've done something wrong like it should be written in a way that feels right to read out loud like Mm. and so I mean you can catch things that don't sound right when you read out loud and then listening to the recording like is it landing how I want it to land like are the pauses where I want them to be um and it's a way of re-evaluating it but it's also a way of being efficient so like I don't need to be at a desk to listen to it like I can be on the train I can be on the tube mm. like so when I was working that used to be a way of um, integrating the writing process around into my day my working day mm. Mm, I see very very smart mm-hmm. do you how much do you plan uh, your book do, uh, you, do you know ev- everything that will happen before you write you said that you write a lot of notes so yeah. But when I, you open the, yeah. doc, doc, the Word document, you know everything that will happen, you know, all the characters. No, not necessarily. So I think I think I, I always know where I want to end. But again, it's not necessarily like a plot thing or a character thing. It's a feeling thing. So, I mean, everything I write has a journey that I want the reader to go on. But it's not necessarily a plot one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I, I do like to write the ending of stuff but that might just be psychological for my own reassurance um, yeah and yeah so I guess I, and no I think I, you learn about characters as you go and sometimes you realise your character's not doing what you want them to do good and you haven't made that character right so that happens to me for sure I wouldn't say that I have like big spreadsheet of everything it's But it, I do like to know where I'm going to end up or, like, what is driving. I need to know what I'm writing towards, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you know where the character is going to, and that that's kind of enough as a plan. Yeah. And I'm thinking of the main character of, of uh, Stepan Archivist, mm. who doesn't have a name, am I right? She, do, she doesn't have a name, mm. but we do know one of her family surnames. Yeah. Because of the other characters, I guess. And I'm, I'm thinking of her because... Um, As a, as a reader, mm. because you started the book by uh, dedicating it to yourself, mm. am I right? Mm-hmm. And because there are similarities between you and the main character, for example, as ethnicity, mm. Mm. Um, as a reader, you tend to think that the writer is the main character. Mm. And I was wondering, you as a writer, how did you put distance between you and the main character? How did you work on the character to not make it a, a, a mini you or... Yeah, I mean, 
I guess it was quite in, in, instinctive to me what wasn't me, mm-hmm. I guess. And and I also think real life is really impossible to record in a book anyway. Things are so much more complicated and strange and, <laughs> yeah. and in a way have less meaning um, than in a text where you can sort of make things have meaning. Um, and I think also... I think sometimes I was thinking about aspects of my life that I wanted to capture, but that's not the same as recording my life, if that makes sense. So there might have been feelings, and I didn't always give them to the protagonist. Sometimes I gave these feelings to the other characters as well. So there were certain, there were aspects of taking things that I had experienced and reshaping them, or isolating them, or um, throwing them into relief. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a in a sense, it was a work of making it simpler mm-hmm. and clearer. You never got scared of of putting too much of yourself into the main character. Well, I just think this is always writers always put their experience mm-hmm. into text. I think it's a. I think I that's always going on. Whether the you know yeah I, you know you can give someone different color hair or something and whatever like you can disguise them but your people are always pouring themselves in and i think it's also they're just i think i like the interplay between that i think it's okay i think it's sort of honest i think it's it's definitely a work of fiction but i think there is a playfulness to to that mm-hmm. um and It's also beguiling, like I think sometimes people think that I am not capable of lying and putting a a lie into my book. But of course, that's what you're doing all the time when you're writing, is making up all these (laughs) lies and arranging them for people. So I think if, you know, I I did a reading where someone came up to me and was started talking about their bowel movements because the protagonist says IBS. And it's like, you've just, I mean, I I don't know, I guess I enjoy that. Mm But no, I didn't. I don't worry about putting my too much of myself in because I think it's up to readers if they want to read that in. That's 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 enough. Yeah. Well, that's part of the reading process, mm. and people will always do that. Mm, that's and I, true. particularly with kind of like anything that falls into immigrant fiction, people are very keen to do that. <laughs> so I think to an extent, maybe yes, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, do you? Do you think about uh, readers when mm. you write? Could be like readers in general or could be like specific reader, I don't know, members of your family or friends or your agent or, or you don't really think about that? Yeah, I do, I do. I have certainly a kind of big abstract level. This is a book written for women, I guess, and, you know, mm. or when I was thinking about how I write sexual assault, it was very important that this is a book that's written for survivors. So it's the point of the book is never to convince you that a rape or rapes or violence took place. Mm. The starting point is always that you believe her and this is about how her experience. The so it was it's never like so in that sense I had a very clear understanding of who was centered in my audience. Like who I was writing for, who I would translate for, like I'm not, or who I would not translate for. Um, so that, the, that in a sort of, as a kind of political stance, I think that was 
very important. Um, and it's like not a coincidence, it's very important that there's no sort of graphic rape scene, etc. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like that's something that comes from, I think, there are lots of different ways to talk about trauma, but I wanted to think more about all the spidery effects rather than like just showing something. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I have a sort of positionality around like who I write for. Um, and again, like not translating the Portuguese as part of that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, yeah, when I write, I guess, I do think primarily of like, in terms of the reason I write, there is this Toni Morrison advice which is if the book you want to read doesn't exist go and write it so I think there's that and that's part of the dedication I think um but the other thing is yeah I do think about my agent I think about my friends um I actually try not to think about my family I think anyone that I try not to think of it the kind of people who might disapprove I think it's good to have a very safe writing head on first Mm -hmm. and then and then go over it and be like Mm -hmm. okay do you think there is topics that you will never write about because it's it's too difficult or it's taboo or, or do you feel like you could take any any topics? I, I did not prepare that question, it's just crossed mm. my mind right now. I think um it's something I think about more with my second book, but I think for me there is a question of how far from my own experience I would ever write. So, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, I think it's okay to write things that you haven't experienced if you show respect and research them. Mm. But I guess I have a sense of which are my battles to fight and which are are the perspectives that I can write. And I think, so for example, writing Ana Paula, who is didn't grow up in the UK, grew up in Brazil. That was me doing something that I haven't experienced, but mm-hmm. it felt like, fine, I was staying in my lane. Yeah, you felt safe doing it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think, like, that's probably why I think my writing will always be about the UK and Brazil. I mm-hmm. probably won't write stuff that is set in other countries that I just don't have that familiarity or ownership mm-hmm. um, over them. So I think, for me, that's the centr- that would be... The, uh, the kind of I wouldn't go there's... the limit yeah mm. Tabon Archivist is mm. your first published novel mm-hmm. um, can I ask how many did you write before that one that didn't get published or that you never finished or is it your first attempt of writing a... yeah uh, okay wow mm-hmm. it's the first yeah yeah so I yeah it's the first one but it, I mean it's worth emphasizing that like uh, it wasn't always clear that it would be published or publishable mm. or uh, there would be another in the first place yeah, it wasn't really clear. yeah. Mm. so it was uh, an experiment mm-hmm. and then how did you manage to have it published after how did you find a, an agent did you just send it to agents like this like the first draft or yeah, did so you know someone that no so I had the first draft which was yeah like a long as if it were a long article like it's just mm. so very slim yeah I uh, I was really impatient to send it off mm-hmm. and I did my research properly online and I found four agents who were all 
young women who I thought might be interested in this kind of book. And one of them is the, my agent now. Okay. So that happened quite Very smooth. organically, yeah. Yeah, smoothly mm-hmm. and quickly. And I didn't need any special connections or anything. I just wrote a cover letter and sent... I think it's very good for people to remember. Yeah, that you don't and, and I think necessarily that, need someone. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. the the important thing also is that you've got to remember that like, not it's hard to write a book. If you've managed to do that, you the agents are looking for you. Like it's their job to find amazing writers and people who've written books that was can be published and sold. So it's. I think particularly if you Google stuff online, there's this feeling that like, oh, you're trash, your writing's trash, like oh, we're going to end up in the slush pile. And But it's not it's not the case. Like mm. um, it's not necess- certainly not necessarily the case. And particularly if you do your research and find agents who are, that's what they do. If you send like a... Mm. You know, they're actually looking for, they need you. They need you, exactly. Yeah. They need you. Mm. So I think that's really important to remember. Like mm. they do read their submissions. They do need you as long as you're sort of and and also I think like the publishing industry like is still very white very London centric very middle class so it's it's not to over promise that there is someone out there waiting Mm. to receive every brilliant text because the the publishing industry also has its faults in in that way but Mm. having said that like they do like they do need you still Mm. So people, please, there, <laughs> send your <Yeah>. manuscript. <laughs> yeah. What did you, it's going to be, I think, my my last question. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from the making of uh, Stubborn Archivists from uh, the first novel? What uh, mistake did you make uh, that you won't do in the in the second one? Did you ask yourself this question? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, no, I have. Um, this isn't a lesson, but like the... The main difference is material. Like the main difference now is I'm not working full time. Mm. That just is the main difference in how <laughs> the books are being produced, um, and that's like pretty outside my control. Like it's not outside my control. Like I have to obviously taken steps to like organize my life, but um, that's it's not a lesson like past Yara could have applied. Like I don't think I would say to her like quit your job, <laughs> like. I don't think I would say that. So I guess um, I I would just extend empathy to her and patience. Thank you very much for your time, uh, Yara Rorikas Folder. I wish the best to you and, and to your first book, to Stubborn Archivist. Uh, it's been reviewed and admired by many great names so far, so mm. I'm not too worried. <laughs> um, Never Writers, the warm-up is done, so you're now ready to present your book during the event in Spike Island tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm now talking to our dear listeners. If you like this podcast, please let us know by subscribing, sharing and liking. You can find us on all the platforms under the name Novel Writers The Warm Up. And we will be happy to read your thoughts and opinions on the Twitter page of Spike Island or on my page at Fusta Jelly. Next first novel writers to be interviewed will be Alia Trabuco-Zeran for The Remainder, Candice Carty-Williams for Queenie, and then Kim Sherwood for Testament. If you have any questions to ask them, please share them on Twitter and I will make sure to pass it on to them. <laughs>